back, ladies and gentlemen. Another week, another Friday, another Mac Bandwagon episode. I'm your co-host, Sam Thelman, joined as always, Zach Foley. Zach, how are you doing on this fine day? I'm doing fantastic, man. We had another great slate of Mac games these last few nights. Uh, spent a lot of time watching football, a lot of great, uh, exciting football that we got to watch over the last few days. I'm excited to break it down. No doubt. And before we, we jump straight into like, I don't know about you, Zach, but I, like this match in this past week and these past two weeks have just been unbelievable. It's what we've all been waiting for. I think I think it's delivered on all. You have the blowouts, of course. You have uh, AJ Mayer coming um, uh, for and from Miami, Ohio last week and leading them to victory over my Ball State Cardinals. You have the the Akron uh, almost upsetting Ohio. Like everything, yeah. everything you want, they've delivered essentially. Yeah, no doubt. I think um, so many like storylines already kind of playing out. Obviously, you know, Buffalo kind of made a statement last night. I think you mentioned Akron. I think they were really impressive. They didn't get quite a victory last night, but they played really well. They played really hard. I think there's some good things that you're seeing there uh, just all around. I mean, another great tight game for Ball State in Eastern Michigan. So much to break down, so much to talk about. You're right. It's been so great to be able to watch Mac football the last few weeks. It's been really cool on like these, you know, Wednesday nights, Tuesday nights, following along on Twitter and seeing like sports Twitter just talking about Mac games because they're the main show on those nights. It's awesome. Yeah, no doubt the prime the the fact that it's on prime time like week one I I was watching the Ball State game there was even a New Orleans Saints scout at the game that was oh, that yeah. was super wild to see but I I think we we got to jump straight into it. unfortunately after that kind of uh just kind of uplifting news we had I like some some devastating news coming out of the Central Michigan community so Zach if you if you want to talk about it. We'll, we'll kind of like talk about like, like, yeah, yeah, Zach, just like if you want to go ahead and break it down real fast. Yeah, sure. So I'm sure some of you guys saw, but some some really sad news from Mount Pleasant this week. Um, former Central Michigan wide receiver Titus Davis, uh, brother of Corey Davis, who played at Western Michigan and now plays for the Titans. Um, he passed away. Uh, yesterday, uh, Wednesday, from uh, renal medullary carcinoma. It's a, a rare form of, of kidney cancer that he had. Again, he was only 27. He only got diagnosed with cancer back in uh, back in June. So really, really uh, quick, it, 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 you know, it, it kind of took over, which is, you hate to see it. It's a terrible disease. But, um, you know, he was such an unbelievable unbelievable athlete. I have a lot of great memories of watching him. Obviously, if anyone remembers uh, the um, the Bahamas Bowl back in 2014 for when Central Michigan played Western Michigan and had that crazy comeback, uh, he was the one that caught that or finished the the kind of that Hail Mary after all the laterals uh, to, to get the game within one point. He was also, uh, he graduated from Central Michigan as the all-time leading receiver in yards with 3,700. Uh, same with touchdowns with 37. He was fourth in receptions with 204. So, um, and he was also one of only three Chippewas uh, ever to be selected on an all MAC team in each of their four years uh, in, in the uh, maroon and gold up in Mount Pleasant, one of the others being Dan Lefevre. So, those are some truly the, the, the greats at Mount Pleasant. He was one of them, uh, gone way too soon. It's a terrible thing to see, a very sad thing to, th- sad thing to see, Sam. Uh, you hate to see it, especially when it was someone who's so young and so talented. Yeah, and I, I feel I figure it's only right that we take a moment of silence just to remember Ty Davis before we we continue this conversation about how just a a great athlete, but not only that, but a great person. So, you podcast listeners, if you'd like to join us in this moment of silence at this time, 
we, we would like to extend our condolences once again to Tyus Davis's family for his passing. But yes, we, we are going to now take a moment of silence for his passing. Okay, uh, and now I, I, I think we just ought to start out talking about the person more than the thing. Unfortunately, Zach, we didn't get the chance to meet with him. We didn't get the chance to know the person behind the football. You mentioned all his accolades, all he had, CMU's all-time leading receiver, and that's great and all. But I think that what's lost sometimes is the person behind the number. And yes, we can remember the great plays he did, but if – like the the way like like co like athletes like Kobe and Tyus Davis left the world, it's just heartbreaking to see because these are good people just ended lives early. Like I didn't know I I personally didn't know. I know you Zach we were messaging before the episode that we didn't even know he was fighting this. I I saw he w had been working out for some several NFL teams, but it's just, it's just a devastating loss for the Mac community. What I was frustrated with was the fact that. I like I know Ball State and Eastern Michigan don't really have ties to Titus Davis because we're two different teams or whatnot. But I felt like it should it would have been the right thing because we're part of a conference and it's it's more than just football at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, I would just like to see some outreach like, hey, we're gonna take a moment of silence before this game to remember the dude. Cause I'm sure Ball State's had some great matches against Titus Davis. I'm sure some of their friends have Eastern Michigan is probably only what an hour, two hours away from Central Michigan. Yeah, so it's just yeah. like, like this goes beyond football, and I just feel like there there needs to be a little bit like more respect given. I guess I. As yeah, and, and and you're talking about like how how he was as a person, and I think you saw you know Dan Enos come out, who was the um you know sorry who was the head coach at Central Michigan when Titus Davis played there. You know, he came out and uh, and made a statement. Some of his former teammates as well. It's also really sad to see. You know, he had two uh, two young kids uh, that he he's going to leave behind, unfortunately. So yeah, it's just a really sad story all around. You hate to see it. Cancer is a terrible thing. It, it you know it affects so many people, uh, so many people's families. And so um, hopefully, you know, like you said earlier, keeping uh, you know we're keeping the, the the Davis family in our our thoughts and our and uh, hopefully that they'll be able to, to get through this tough time. But yeah, it is tough because, uh, you know, he's only 27 years old and it only happened, uh, you know, five, six months ago that they found out. So um, certainly a, a bad, a terrible loss for the Chippewa community and the Mac community. No doubt. And, and what, like, what I learned over this past week is like, not only about the Titus Davis passing, but I was listening to the press conference with um, Ball State after the game, after the win. And that, that's not really relevant, but like Caleb Huntley, he, he brought up the fact that he was playing for his son who uh, recently had to have surgery. So it's just like, you don't know what people are going through. And it's just, it's just tough when you can't do anything about it. Like cancer, cancer, I'm sure everybody knows someone who's been affected by cancer at one point or another. And it's just, it's just a hard thing to go through when you can't really do anything about it. Tyus Davis was a healthy 27 year old uh, kid. He, he had the rest of his life uh, ahead of him. And unfortunately, uh, he had to pass away. Yeah, it's too bad. Uh, and, um, you know, for us, it's cool to be able to remember him. And, you know, something I did earlier, I went back earlier today and looked up some of, you know, hi highlight tapes of him on YouTube and to be able to, you know, it's awesome that he at least, you know, left that legacy behind where we can go and, uh, you know, look at highlights of him, of, you know, playing football in his glory days at Central Michigan when, we, when he was at the top of his game. He was a heck of a football player, man. And 
Um, heck of a talent, heck of a person by all accounts from everyone that was around them, everyone that talks about them. Uh, so yeah, def definitely a sad day. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we've been thinking about him. And like I said, if you guys, if you go on YouTube, type in uh, Titus Davis, some of his highlights, he was a heck of a receiver. That was back, you know, 2012, you know, 13, 14, they were slinging the ball around. He was a heck of a player. And um, yeah, he was a joy to watch. Yeah, and, and before we move on, if, if you have any stories about Tyus Davis, any interactions, not just whether it's on the field, off the field, just let us know in our DMs. Our DMs are open. We want to know how he, like, truly positively impacted your lives because, again, me and Zach don't know the player, and, and we can say it's sad and whatnot, but I want to truly know Tyus Davis's legacy at the end of the day because we only got to see the stats. We only got to see how he, he interacted with his teammates, and I, and I like – I'm sure you as well, Zach, we, we want to keep his legacy on and whether that's Citra Michigan naming this like Titus Davis Day or something like that, just something cool like that. I, I just want to keep Titus Davis's memory alive because I think that's the most important thing at the end of the day is to not let his name be forgotten. Sure. I think that's that's a very well, uh, very well said, Sam. And, and I think that's a great idea. I mean, you know, if, if folks want to send us some stories, uh, we, we'd love to be able to highlight them on the show. I think that's a, it's a great idea. Okay. And uh, unfortunately, we, uh, we could spend the whole episode, but we're going to move on to the uh, our segment to week two breakdown. We hope that wasn't too dark and we're, we're here to uplift a little bit after that. So we're, we're going to break down the games real fast. So, Zach, if you want to take us through the Kent State Bowling Green game that happened uh, week or this past week. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I, this was, you know, this was a game that I was really looking forward to. Um, I, to be honest with you, Sam, you know, we, we talked a lot on this show in the weeks leading up to the season about Bowling Green and Bowling Green, that they were a team that I was buying stock in, right? I really felt like Scott Leffler was going to help them take a step forward this year. I thought Matt McDonald was going to be a, you know, a great quarterback for them after they really struggled at that position last year. After last week, I was kind of in wait and see mode on Bowling Green. And after this week, I can confidently tell you, Sam, that all that Bowling Green stock that I bought leading up to the season, I am now selling. I didn't realize how quite far away they were from being competitive. Um, Kent State really just took it to them in this game, 62 to 24 final. Um, it was, you know, 10 to 10 at the end of the first quarter. But even with that, you know, Bowling Green got a 90 yard kick return down the Kent's 10 yard line and can only get a field goal. They did put in one uh, good drive there in the first quarter uh, to tie it up at 10. But then Kent State went 28 nothing. Uh, in the second quarter. And from there, it was, you know, the, the, the route was on. Dustin Crum finished 18 for 27, uh, 271 yards and four touchdowns there. Listen to this, Sam. Kent State, 58 rushes, 295 yards, 5.1 yards per carry, three rushing touchdowns. Uh, I mentioned Matt McDonald, the QB for Bowling Green, the transfer from uh, Boston College. High expectations for him coming into the year. Well, he struggled for the second straight week last night. Six for 20, 105 yards. He's only 14 for 50 through two games so far. So really a, a struggle to the year, uh, to start the year for Matt McDonald. 
and uh, just generally speaking on Bowling Green, man, they, they are in a bad way right now. This, uh, this tweet from ESPN Stats and Info, uh, Bowling Green is the first MAC team over the last 50 seasons to lose five straight games by 35 points. The first FBS team over the last 15 seasons to lose five straight conference games by 35 points. And the fourth team over the last 15 seasons to allow 60 points in consecutive home games. Sam, I, I knew that, you know, this was a team that was going to need to see some improvement this year. I knew this was a team that was still a year or two away, but I don't think anybody expected what we've seen from Bowling Green the first two weeks. Yeah, I didn't either. Like starting out rivalry week with your Toledo, who you've been nonstop talking about on Twitter, like that, that was just a bad look. And then to lose 62-24 against Kent State. And then, Zach, do you know who they play the, this next week? Uh, who do they play? Remind me. Buffalo. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, and then the remaining schedule is Ohio, Akron and Miami, Ohio. And, and Zach, I, I want to pose this question. Is Akron right now in your eyes, the favorite out of Bowling Green Akron? Um, if, if you would have asked me that question three days ago, I would have said no, but after watching both of those teams play the last few days, I'd have to think long and hard about that. They might be, honestly. Where Where's that game at? Is it at Akron, you said? It is at Akron. At Akron. I think Akron, honestly, might be favored in that game, Sam, which is crazy to even say. But I just – I mean, Bowling Green's defense right now, they can't stop anybody. I mean, I know Dustin Crum and Kent State, that offense for Kent State, you know, they're very high-powered. But let's look – I mean, if you look at the, the drive chart for, for this game, I'm going to read off to you, Sam – I'm going to read off to you Kent State's offensive drives in the first half, okay? Yep. Seven plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Six plays, 16 plays, 53 yards, field goal. Ten plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Six plays, 56 yards, touchdown. Nine plays, 45 yards, touchdown. Two <laughs> plays, 50 yards, touchdown. Four plays, four yards, missed field goal. They didn't stop them one time in the first half. The only drive in the first half where Kent State didn't score – they missed a field goal. I mean, this defense, they can't cover. They can't tackle. They can't get pressure on the quarterback. It's its tough for, for the Falcons right now on that side of the ball. I will say to give them some slack, we've seen a relatively high amount of scoring, which I don't think any of us predicted. But at, at some point, there's a line between just bad, like just overall bad and then bowling green bad. And I think we've seen a new <laughs> level of bad. But, Zach, on the flip side, uh, I had Kent State going three and three on the season. I think a lot of people had Kent State underperforming, yet they're two and zero oh at at this point. I know their last game was against um, uh, Bowling Green, and then they got that Week One kind of uh, sneak one against Eastern Michigan. They've got Akron, Buffalo, Miami, Ohio, Ohio. Are you buying in on the fact that this Golden Flashes team is for real? I am. Yeah, I am. Especially, I mean, last night. Uh, against Bowling Green, they they could not be stopped. I know we were talking about how you know Bowling Green struggles on defense, but I mean Dustin Crum was on point last night. The thing actually that's really encouraging for me for Kent State though is the run game right now. They're they're running the ball and they're balanced on, with the run game. They're giving it to multiple backs. Brian Bradford and Marquez Cooper um, last night. Uh, you know Brian Bradford had 13 carries, 113 yards, 8.7 yards a carry there, and then Marquez Cooper had 15 carries for 53 yards and two touchdowns. Not only are those two guys 
really playing well in the backfield. Both of those guys are freshmen. So you want to talk about how Sean Lewis has kind of elevated the talent level of this program. There's a great example right there of, of some young guys that they have that are playing well. So I think the fact that they can run the ball and throw the ball, they're so balanced on offense. Their defense definitely still has some work to do. I mean, even last night, Bowling Green rushed for 260 yards and six yards per carry. So the defense still has some work to do. But like you said, there's been a lot of scoring in the MAC thus far this year. And if it's going to come down to scoring points and being able to outscore the other team, I like Kent State's chances as much as anybody. And, and you mentioned the rushing attack. I think what um, uh, Kent State has done, what is smart, is the fact that they are so balanced. And I honestly, coming into the season, didn't think they were going to run the ball as much as they have. Like, yeah. Dustin Krubs looks super good in the few opportunities he's got. But they've used him like I don't know efficiently, if you want to yeah. call it. Like he hasn't. They haven't like worked. They haven't put it a huge workload like they did last season. They bounced it out, kind of switched things up. And I think this Kent State team, it's going to be hard to figure out. Do we stop the run? But then Dustin Crum can when they put the workload on. I think he's going to be able to deliver. So it's really going to be hard to stop this team. Yeah, I agree with you. And you talked about how Kent State may be running the ball a little bit more than we might have expected. Well, last night against Bowling Green, uh, between Crum and backup Colin Schley, who came in, in in garbage time in the fourth quarter, they threw 35 passes last night. They ran the ball 58 times. And then same thing last week against Eastern Michigan. Crum threw 29 passes, but they ran the ball 46 times. So this is a team, they're looking to establish the run this year. And I think that's like you said, you pointed out, I, I think you're exactly right, is the the um, the fact that they have established the run game and the fact that they are able to run the ball only helps Dustin Crum and Isaiah McCoy and all those receivers because now they can use the play action, they can go down the field and take some shots, and that's exactly what they did last night. I'm really excited to watch Kent State moving forward these next few weeks. Um, I think two weeks from now when they play at Buffalo, that's going to be a heck of a football game. No doubt. I th I'm there with you. And now to move – to a kind of a, I would say, surprising game. We had Ohio Akron. Now, Zach, I don't know about you, but if you told me that this game would be ended by 14, I would call you crazy. But yeah. that's exactly what happened. So, Zach, do you want to take us through what happened in the Ohio Akron game? Yeah, and uh, I got to be honest with you, Akron, even in a losing effort here, Akron really impressed me uh, with how they played last uh, on uh, on Tuesday night. Um, I also have to be honest, you know, on, on Sunday when these lines came out, um, I, I hopped all over Ohio minus 23 and a half. I was feeling really good whenever it got up to 27. The thing I didn't realize, though, because we didn't really see it in week one, uh, but Akron's defense, they, they played with some spunk last night. They played with some energy. Um, they, they were able to get to the quarterback. Um, they, uh, you know, forced a couple turnovers. They were, they were a solid squad last night on defense. Uh, and even on offense, you know, Zach Gibson, uh, I, I actually, I have to correct myself. They, they didn't force any turnovers last night, my bad, but they, they were able to get to the quarterback and force some pressure. They made Curtis Rourke and Armani Rogers, both kind of uncomfortable when, whenever they were, um, you know, splitting time there. And, um, you know, they, they held Ohio to 120, 122 yards passing. But on offense, um, Akron's got some young guys that, that are looking pretty promising. Zach Gibson, the freshman quarterback, uh, he was 18 for 30 for 218 yards uh, with a touchdown. He did throw two picks, which, uh, you know, I, you'd like to think that as he gets older and matures, uh, he'll, he'll start to rein in on the interceptions. And then um, 
the the running back Tion Dollard, he's a junior from Lake City, Florida, but he's really shown me something here over the first two weeks as well. He's averaging six yards a carry, and he had uh, 22 carries for 165 yards last night. Like I said, uh, Sam, the Akron defense impressed me. On offense, they have to get more consistent. There, there's a lot of you know three and outs. There's a lot of missed assignments. There's you know um, Zach Gibson is, is still running for his life back there. The offensive line isn't that good. Um, but for if you're a Zips fan, you're seeing some encouraging signs here in year two under Tom Arth. I think a lot of Zip fans, all they were looking for this year was to be you know be in some games and be competitive. And last night they got that. Yeah, I, I don't know if you had this perception, Zach, as I was flipping around between the Kent State game and this and then somewhat of the Buffalo-Miami game, which we'll touch on later, but it wasn't really close. But it just seemed like Akron like had the chances to actually make an upset. They just didn't want to. Like, I don't know who it was that fumbled. He didn't even get touched by a dude, and he still mm -hmm. f uh, fumbled it. Uh, Zach Gibson had some moments where he just made some some just like crazy, just some – some awful decisions and it's just like they had the opportunities it didn't seem like ohio wanted to win this game but yeah akron just didn't take advantage of those opportunities on offense to potentially pull an upset yeah and i think that's one of the side effects you have whenever you're such a young team right they don't necessarily um know how to kind of close out games or assert their their will on a game. And I think that's something that they're going to have to learn. I think a program like Akron that's so young, that's learning how to win a year like this is going to be very, very beneficial for them. And I think next year, I think next year could be a year where, um, you know, if they're able to, to retain their, their young players from this year and bring in another recruit, recruiting class, I think you could see Akron take some, some great steps next year, especially as their, their lineman has a line has another year to grow. And, uh, they, you know, like I said, they get another recruiting class in there. I think last night was something, you know, was very encouraging from my perspective when it comes to Akron. On the other side of the ball, Ohio, I think, you, you know, you're, you're right, Sam. They, they seem to lack really any type of, like, killer instinct. Like you said, it didn't seem like they really wanted to win this game, which is something that's odd. I don't think that's something we're used to with, with Frank Solich coached teams. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think – Coming into this year, I was pretty high on the Bobcats. And even after last week, after they lost in Central Michigan, I thought that was a really good game. And I was still, you know, thinking they were going to come out and have a good year. They still may, but they, that was a very uninspiring performance for them last night. No doubt. And Zach, what do you make of this Bobcats team? Week one, they had that super close game against Central Michigan, who is now 2-0. and And then they just come flat out and like get a win but you don't feel too great about it and now you're moving into a, a miami ohio team that you don't really know so what do you make of this ohio team that we we thought was somewhat good but then now we have questions about yeah you know i think the thing that benefits ohio moving forward is that i i think right now at least they they know who they are. They know their identity, right? They're gonna they're a team that's gonna run the ball. They're not gonna throw a ton. I mean, he only uh, what between Armani Rogers and Curtis Rourke last night, they only threw 17 passes for 122 yards. They run the ball. They ran the ball twice as much as they threw it last night. So 
I think they're, they're a team that had some, some turnover in the offseason. Obviously, they're bringing in a new quarterback. Armani Rogers uh, transferred in, so they have two quarterbacks that are split in time right now. I think they're still trying to figure out their personnel, but at least they know who they are. At least they know their, their system. So I think because of that and because they have a veteran coaching staff, I still think that they'll contend. Um, I, I don't. I don't think. Obviously, especially um, you know, with a, already a loss in the conference and having yet to play Buffalo or Kent or you know uh, Miami of Ohio, I don't see them winning the division or anything like that. But I still think they'll be competitive. Yeah, and Zach, I don't know. Is this a bold take? I think moving forward, they should start Curtis Rourke completely. I don't. I don't think there's any need to play Armani Rogers only like what ten snaps a game. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there. Armani Rogers, uh, he did run for a touchdown this week, and he, you know, he, he can do some good things on the ground. He's a good athlete, but it's pretty clear that when it comes to actually throwing the ball, Curtis Rourke is much better, much more comfortable in that regard. Um, I, I, I do tend to agree with you. It's, it's odd to me that you know, they're playing Armani Rogers and, and they're doing it in such a limited capacity. I would think you know, if they were going to truly look at him, they were going to, you know, give him half a game or something like that, which they haven't done. They've only given him, like you said, you know, 10, 12 snaps or whatever it is. So um, I, I would be interested to see what they, they do in that regard as well. It's not like either of them really, um, you know, lit the world on fire last night or either of the last two weeks. But I, I tend to agree with you. I do think Curtis Rourke's probably the better option moving forward. I, I think the positive you have to take from last week if you're a Bobcat fan is you're only a game back from first place and I think that's the ultimate vision you have when you look at it you got Miami Ohio who we don't really know and are they going to show up like week one against Ball State or the previous week then you got Bowling Green you got that Buffalo game and then Kent State so if you beat Buffalo and Kent State you could be still Mac champion. You could be. You can obviously beat the if Miami Ohio shows up like they did this previous week. You could definitely yeah. be in Miami Ohio, and then you got yeah. Bowling Green, who just look like awful. I'm just gonna say they look awful. Yeah. So I think I think the promising sign is we've only got six games, and Ohio's still in the hunt for Detroit. Yeah, for sure. And I think this coming week, this game, this matchup against Miami Ohio is going to be very telling for both teams because obviously Miami we'll talk about that game in a little bit, but they, you know, they're, they're going to look to bounce back after their game against Buffalo. And then you have Ohio here who, like you said, technically are still in the hunt. So um, I think that's going to be an interesting game to watch next week, whenever um, Ohio travels out to Oxford for the battle of the bricks. No doubt. And I think we might as well just move on. We've been talking about the Miami Redhawks just flat out stinker against Buffalo. <laughs> like, like, I don't know if there's any other way to say it. First half, what didn't they go in like first, uh, first in the first quarter, zero, zero. Yeah, they did. There was uh yeah, no points in the first quarter of this game. And then uh, in the second quarter, um, even, I mean, it was only 14-7 at halftime. Buffalo scored first in the second quarter. They had a 14-play drive for uh, 74 yards where Jarrett Patterson uh, ended or, you know, finished that drive, capped it off with a touchdown uh, touchdown run. And then uh, A.J. Meyer threw an interception. And then next first play after the interception, Van Trees throws that 78-yard bomb to Trevor Wilson. And um, so that put Buffalo up 14 nothing. Uh, Miami did respond with a touchdown uh, just before halftime to make it 14-7, but then third quarter, uh, Buffalo just pulled away. It was 42-7 
before Miami scored again. And even then it was just a field goal. Yeah. Buffalo looked dominant here, man. I mean, we've talked so much about how we highly, we thought of uh, Miami, Ohio's defense, but Buffalo's offense, man, they did whatever they wanted last night, a career day for Kyle Van Treese, uh, 17 for 27 for the Buffalo quarterback, 353 yards and four touchdowns. He was nine for nine with three touchdowns in the second half. Talk about having yourself a night for Kyle Van Treese. Kevin Marks was actually the leading rusher for the Bulls. I know, um, Sam, you and I both talked last week on the show about how we were surprised that they didn't use Marks more last week. Well, I think uh, Lance Leopold might be listening to our podcast because he, uh, Kevin Marks actually had more carries than Patterson. Actually, no, I'm sorry. He had more yards, not more carries. He had 16 for 109. Patterson had 20 for 73 with two touchdowns. Total yardage in this game, Buffalo outgained Miami 556 to 258. I mean, that's unbelievable. It's rare, very rare that you see a, a yardage disparity that, you know, that much in a conference game. A.J. Meyer, uh, after making his first start last week, kind of came back to earth, 7 for 25 uh, for, with a touchdown and an interception. Uh, yeah, Sam, I think a lot of people – uh, anticipated this being a close game. And, and, uh, you know, I know some people had, you know, I'd seen some people even picking Miami to upset the bulls here, but uh, not the case. Buffalo came out and really showed why they're the best team in this division. Yeah. I was one of those people, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but I, I think too, I think people will look at this box score and think Buffalo just straight transfer. I don't think that was the case. I, I, I think if you watch the game, there's a, there's many times where Meyer had a, great ball and the receivers just couldn't come down with it there were several drops throughout the game that wasn't on mayor and at the end of the day you saw the the stat line of 725 touchdown interception like that that should have been the case like yes they still should have lost but i don't think it was as big of a blowout as the box score made it out to be yes buffalo's had had clearly the better day but i don't think it should have been 32 points that buffalo beat miami ohio by yeah, I hear you. And and I think that um, because of that, because Miami probably feels the same way, I think it's going to be a big time bounce back spot for the Red Hawks this week. Rivalry game against Ohio. I feel like they're really going to be up for that game and show uh, the world that they're not what they put out there last, you know, this week um, against Buffalo. Because it was, I mean, the, the defense especially, I think, you know, a lot of people, there's, you know, a lot of us have had questions about Miami on offense, but I don't think anybody has questioned their defense. Um, but now maybe we should start. I mean, 31 points last week to Ball State, 42 points uh, this week to Buffalo. That's not a good start for the season uh, for Miami, especially when you have a back uh, defensive backfield with Manny Rugamba and, and, you know, some other veteran guys back there. You can't be giving up 353 yards passing to Kyle Van Trees. Uh, I mean, that's just, you know, you're not going to win many games in the MAC. Yeah, I and you touch on the defense. It seems like night and day from last year. I, I could be wrong, but I, I think all their ops outs opted back in. So it's not like yeah. they're missing any key players. And maybe that's uh, there, there were some injuries along the way, but like Sorensen or uh, uh, Sorensen, the safety, I, I believe his name is right. Or Sterling Weatherford. I don't know Weatherford, why I said Weatherford. Yeah. I, I, I think Sorensen is the, the, the wide receiver. 
or yeah, and the Chiefs' safety. I don't know why. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like Regamba's still in there. Like they still have the majority of their pieces. So I'm just, I'm just wondering what's the difference between last week or last year and this year. And maybe it's the offenses. Like the offenses they've played so far. Ball State, Buffalo. We saw Ball State put up 38 uh, this week. We've seen Buffalo put up big numbers. They put up 50 something against Ohio, uh, Northern Illinois. So I think this test against Ohio is really going to show how good this defense is because if you can't hold Ohio to less than 30, are you really expecting them to go after Akron to Kent State and hold Dustin Crumb? Yeah, no, you're right. And the thing about the, – the, here's the one thing that worries me for Miami, Ohio this week is that they, uh, they're playing Ohio, who, like we mentioned, this is a team that has an established identity where they want to run the football. And Miami, Ohio's defense has struggled to stop the run here the past two weeks. Ball State had 169-yard rushings and, and three rushing touchdowns, 4.4 yards per carry. And then Buffalo, 203 yards rushing, two touchdowns, 4.5 yards per carry. So if Miami does want to beat Ohio, they're going to have to shore up that run defense and, uh, you know, work on their tackling, wrapping up and practice this week because, you know, the Bobcats are going to want to run the ball. Oh, no doubt. And I think I think that wraps up the Buffalo-Miami talk. Buffalo <coughs> – sorry. Y'all good over there. And moving on from the Buffalo-Miami game, we got the Ball State-Eastern Michigan game. Zach, do you want to break that down? Yeah, for sure. This was a talk about a back and forth game. Talk about an emotional roller coaster, Sam. I can imagine. I know you were there in the stands last night, but uh, man, Ball State, this was a team, you know, I, I tweeted at halftime of this game where uh, Ball State was down 21 10. And I tweeted out that, you know, I felt like it, this was a big second half for the Cardinals, you know, for a team that has aspirations of winning a conference title. This was a game they had to win. They did not look very good in the first half. Eastern Michigan up 21-10 at halftime. Uh, two turnovers from the Cardinals in the first half. Drew Plitt threw an interception, and then they had a muffed snap as well. Um, so that helped contribute to Eastern Michigan's lead. Um, yeah, so the, the uh, two late field goals for the Cardinals cut it to 21-13. Uh, at halftime, uh, but it was 21-7 at one point. And uh, Preston Hutchinson, I tell you what, he's he's impressed me the first two weeks for Eastern Michigan. Last night he had another solid outing, 17 for 29 for 250 yards and a touchdown through the air. He also ran the ball for uh, 17 carries for 104 yards and three rushing touchdowns. The story of this game, though, Sam, uh, at least in my eyes, was Caleb Huntley, 34 carries, 204 yards, three touchdowns. As a team, Ball State, 52 carries for 304 yards. That's a heck of a, a performance on the ground there, Sam. Um, I feel like almost that the way they played in the second half should kind of be a blueprint for them moving forward. I don't know how you feel about that, but I think, you know, establishing the run game and letting Huntley get rolling and then using Plitt and throwing the ball off of that with some play action and letting Hunt and Tyler and some of those guys go deep. I feel like moving forward, that could be a, a formula for success for the Cardinals. No doubt. And I will say that was a probably a top three to f top five game I've been to of all time. Like just like the ups and downs that we went through was uh, incredible. But uh, sorry if I cough. I, I apparently checked on nothing. <laughs> but uh, uh, touching on the game, I it worries me, honestly. Like I know I should be up here and celebrating. We came from behind from 21-7 uh, down to do it. 
but we just didn't have a great game all around. Whether it was offense, Drew play was forcing things. He had a uh, pick. He, he should have had multiple picks, but uh, Justin Hall played safety on one of them, so he got it broken up. On defensive side of the ball, we let 21 straight points before we finally made a stop. Defense made some adjustments, but then if you were watching the game, it was 31-24. We just kicked the field goal. Five minutes left. It was probably second, third play in. Uh, Hutchinson launches a post, and, and the receiver just took it, ran with it, 70-yard touchdown. And I would say the only bright spot was our defense. We have a bit of a kicking battle, so it's very strange. One time it was uh, Jack Knight. The other, um, I forget his name, um, uh, Jacob Lewis, who kicked the 51-yarder before halftime. So I'm really not sure who's our full-time kicker at this point, but they looked really solid. Our punting team was solid. Like, I'm just worried Drew Plitt is solid, but we can't keep forcing him to put up 30 points a game. And I think I think last week showed what we need to do this past week, and that's feed Caleb Huntley. Because if you notice in the first game, when we went away from Caleb Huntley, we just stalled out on offense, and we couldn't do nothing. He only had 21 carries, still 130 yards and two touchdowns. But last week, or this past week, you saw an a, a improvement in carries, 34 yards, 204, tu- 4, 204 yards and three touchdowns. I think the blueprint is right there in front of you. Now it's up to the defense to consistently get stops throughout the game, not just key moments so that Drew Plitt doesn't really have to force the ball like I think he, he's been doing these past two weeks. Yeah, I agree with you, Sam. And I think the, the struggles on defense are all the more reason where why the Cardinals should consider, you know, focusing more on the run on offense. Because I think if you can establish the run and have put together some long drives where you can let Caleb Huntley wear the defense down and bleed some clock, that really helps your defense out. The less time they're on the field, the less plays they have to defend, the less points they're going to give up. So I agree with you all around. I think on Eastern Michigan's uh, sideline, I think even though you're 0-2 right now, if I'm Chris Creighton, I'm pretty encouraged because you didn't really know what you had in Preston Hutchinson. He had one good game last year when he filled in for Mike Glass, but still you can he can't really judge someone off of one game. I think he's proven here over the last two weeks that he is a legit starting quarterback in this league, and I think uh, with him under center, their offense is going to be in good hands. Um, I think running the ball, they, they were, you know, 220 yards, 5.5 yards of carry last night. And, you know, they, um, I, I like their receiving core for, for the, uh, the, 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 um, the Eagles. Uh, we talked about um, Hassan Badoon last week. Well, he wasn't able to play last night. He, he was out with an injury and they had other guys step up. Tanner Nunu had uh, eight carries for 120 or eight receptions for 121 yards. Bryson Cannon had five carries. Uh, five receptions for 76 yards and a touchdown. So they have a, they, this is a nice receiving court. They have some nice weapons on offense. And uh, I think this is a team that, again, I, I know they're already 0-2 and they're, they're not going to go to Detroit this year and, and challenge for a conference championship. But I think there's, there's some things here that I'm seeing from Eastern Michigan that are very encouraging. There, there is stuff to take away. I know I, I'm a bit of a Chris Creighton hater, but like you, you meant, you managed to keep a two and zero Kent State team to only four, uh, four, uh, to only beating you by four, and uh, Ball State by seven. So those are two; those are single possession games that could have gone your way, and you could be sitting here at two and zero. So I think that's the bright side you have to take away on it. But at the same time, like like I've been saying, they just can't get it done against 
the Mac West team. And that's why I just don't like Chris Creighton. You've got three straight game, your following games of Toledo, Central Michigan, and Western Michigan, who are all contending for the Mac West title. And it's just, it's going to be a tough road ahead of you. Like, I understand you got a solid team who kept those uh, losses to single digits, but like, like I'm, I'm just not encouraged by the fact you can't close out these tight games. I hear you. And, that, and that's all, those are all valid points and that's a valid criticism. I think, you know, this is a team, even, even Eastern Michigan's fans know how, you know, they, they have that reputation. They're just, they play in a lot of really, really close football games. And it's just kind of, it is what it is. I understand what you're saying though, about, you know, not being able to close some of these games out. I do think though, again, that just like I was talking about with, with Akron earlier, I think there were some encouraging signs from the young guys last night for Eastern Michigan there. I think they're another team that can benefit from this year being kind of a free year to, to develop some guys. I think this is another team that will take a, a step forward next year, having the benefit of had this year. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, I think that moves on from that. We've got, we got a bit of a blowout that we've got to talk about next central Michigan, Northern Illinois, Zach, t- t- uh, tell us what went down last night. Yeah, I tell you what, man. For a for a program that's as proud as Northern Illinois, it's uh, it's 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 tough to watch them, especially on offense right now. The story of this game, I think, though, was Central Michigan's defense. Um, they held Northern Illinois to 244 total yards in this game, 170 pass yards and only 74 rush yards. So Central Michigan's defense really, again, was the, was the story here for me last night. Uh, Daniel Richardson making his second start at quarterback for the Chippewas. He was 13 for 19 for 196 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Uh, Lou Nichols, uh, the third for the Chippewas, the freshman running back from Detroit. Uh, he had himself a nice little game. Uh, in his first significant action, 12 carries, 91 yards, and a touchdown for him. Kobe Lewis had uh, 16 carries for 59 and a touchdown himself. Um, this was a nice all-around performance from the Chippewas. But, man, I tell you what, Northern Illinois, um, this is a team that's another team in a bad way right now. No, I, don't, I don't know if I'd put them quite on par with Bowling Green, but um, they're just – this is a team that seems lost, especially on offense right now. Um, Ross Bowers has no time to throw. The offensive line is struggling. They had two fumbles last night that they lost after having uh, two uh, last week as well against Buffalo. Uh, Northern Illinois, this is just a team, you know, we've talked a lot about, Sam, about how young they are, you know, 60-plus freshmen on their roster. And, uh, you know, it shows. It shows, unfortunately. This is kind of a tear-it-down year for, for the Huskies. And, uh, you know, they were able to keep it close. Their defense hung tough there for a half last night. It was only 9 nothing at halftime. But Central Michigan came out in the second half and just kind of put it on them. Yeah, it was funny looking on Twitter when um, they put out our predictions and then Northern Illinois Athletics put up, put that yeah. emoji. If you want to look <laughs> at it, you can. And then they just come out and do that. And Zach, since I was at the game, I, I looked at my, the Bleacher Report and I was lo- looking. It was 9-0 at halftime. What happened in that second half to where but- Citro Michigan scored 31 and Northern Illinois only put up 10 points. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it, it was just a situation where Central Michigan came out after halftime, and um, they, they really just asserted their dominance. I mean, they got a touchdown on their first drive. They went uh, 12 plays, 94 yards uh, in, to open up the, the second half uh, after, a, you know, Kobe Lewis um, stopped at the six-yard line on the opening kickoff. So they went 94 yards 
on their first drive. Then they got added a quick field goal after that, after Northern Illinois fumbled the kickoff. So Central Michigan got the opening kick scored. Then then Northern Illinois fumbled that kickoff. Central Michigan kicked the field goal. Then uh, Northern Illinois got the ball. Two plays later, they fumbled again. Uh, then then uh, Central Michigan went three and out. Northern Illinois went three and out. Then uh, Central Michigan scored again uh, to make it uh, 26 nothing. So that was at that point now you're getting towards the end of the third quarter. Once it got to 26 nothing, I mean, even once it got to 19 nothing, you knew Northern Illinois wasn't going to come back because of how their offense looked. But once it got to 26, um, it was all just kind of gravy from that point on. Central Michigan just kept laying it on. And, and so looking at, so. I, I, I want to pose this question. So right now we've got we've got Northern Illinois. We've got four 0-2 teams. We got uh, Northern Illinois, Eastern Michigan, Akron, and Bowling Green. Yeah. Who do you think has the best shot to not go winless? I think definitely Eastern Michigan. I think Eastern Michigan of those four teams, they're the only team that has uh, any like continuity or not continuity is not the right word they're the only team that is um that is at least functional on both sides of the ball <laughs> right i think yeah. northern illinois you know they you see some good things from them on defense but they're there's even then that's that's even a stretch akron uh you saw some good things on defense this week um and you know bowling green you've seen some flashes on offense but it's it's still pretty bad all around there i think with eastern michigan at least they have a half decent defense who has at least able to get a couple stops here and there and then an offense that that you know, has a decent quarterback so i think eastern michigan is definitely to me the best team of those four okay i'll, I'll rephrase that question because i was kind of too easy how many oh and two teams are we going to finish with or Un undefeated teams? teams that's an interesting question I think the at that point you got to look at you know when they play each other. I mean Akron and Bowling Green, who wins that matchup? Eastern Michigan, Northern Illinois, who wins that matchup? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say we're gonna finish with with two. Uh, yeah, I think it's gonna be we're gonna finish with two um, two winless teams. I think uh, I think Eastern Michigan will beat Northern Illinois, and I think uh, I gotta be honest at this point, Sam. I think Akron will beat Bowling Green. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so I'm going to say, yeah, I, 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 okay. I know, I know I had initially said I could see Bowling Green winning two games this year and maybe stealing a third, but I'm going to abandon that, uh, <laughs> abandon that hard. That was a bad prediction. I'm, I think Bowling Green is going to go winless. And, and that's why predictions at the end of the day, off season predictions being Jack yeah. Jack crap at the end of the day, because we don't know. We, we, especially with this COVID season, the public hasn't had much access to, if at all, to the practices. So we don't yeah. know. We have to rely on other people to tell us what we know. And, and I was feeling, I was like you, I was feeling pretty good at this Bowling Green team. I thought they could at least pull out one or two wins. But at this point, it's looking real sketchy. Yeah. And with that point, how? so, so, uh, what was I going to say? With that point, how many? Okay, I'll, I'll I'll flip it. How many two? How many undefeated teams will we have in the in the in the entire MAC? The entire MAC. Well, we're also we're already. That's another thing. We're already down to four there. So I'm gonna say um, I don't think anybody in the West is going undefeated. Okay. I think right now Central Michigan and Western Michigan are both two and zero, but I don't okay. think either of them will go undefeated. Um, I think obviously one of them will beat the other and then either Toledo or Ball State will, will knock off the other team that, that, you know, stays undefeated after Central and Western play each other this week. 
In the East, though, um, I, to be honest with you, after last night or after, you know, Tuesday night's performance, um, I don't see anybody beating Buffalo. So I think Buffalo is going to go undefeated in the East and uh, they'll go to Ford Field, but I think they'll be the only one. What about you? What do you think? I, I'm going to switch it up because it's kind of boring. People are all on Buffalo and I respect yeah. it, but why, why not go the underdog? I'm going to say Kent State, they do play each other. I'm going to say Kent State pulls out the victory and goes undefeated because why not? My offseason predictions were way off at this point. I think I had Miami, Ohio going to the the, the championship, but with Blaine Gabbert and whatnot, hurt. that doesn't look the case. Their defense doesn't look the best. So why not have some fun with it? I'm going to flip it. I'm going to say Kent State is going to be the only team. You know what? I, I could certainly see it happening. They definitely have the offensive firepower to do it. And if their defense can take a step forward and play kind of like they did uh, the other night, I, I, they definitely have a chance. And, and I think we got to close it out with arguably the best game of the night. It's, it's only fitting. Like, you know, I, yeah, I mean, not only the best game of the night, I think one of the best games of the year. Um, if, if anyone missed the ending of the, uh, the Toledo Western Michigan game last night in Kalamazoo, my goodness, let me, let me break this down for you. So um, our, uh, one of our, our fellow uh, Hustle Belt contributors, Steve Helwick, kind of wrote a recap article uh, here on, on the Hustle Belt site. But um, so, so let's, let's break it down here. So 329 left in the fourth quarter. Toledo's up 31 to 28. They have a fourth and 11 on Western Michigan's 15-yard line. And they decided to go for it at fourth and 11 because Western Michigan had blocked a field goal on the previous drive. So um, they run a, like a quick out to Bryant Kobach, who – breaks a couple tackles and gets up the sideline and, and goes, gets pushed out of bounds right at the first down marker, takes out the marker itself. Uh, they have to measure it. The marker's all bent because Brian Kovac just ran it over, but using the bent marker, they measure it. They give him the first down Toledo scores. So now it's 38, 28. They're up to 10 points. There's only two Oh five left, left in the game. At this point, Toledo has a 99.9% chance to win this game. So, um, uh, the, uh, when the, so Western Michigan gets the ball for they're, they're in fourth and five in their own 35 Ellaby hits Dwayne Eskridge for a first down the drive continues and um, Eskridge makes a great catch in one-on-one -on -one coverage near the sideline high points the ball snags it uh, and um, gets down to Toledo's two yard line. Uh, they score with 101 left or I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I apologize. They score with 45 seconds left. And so uh, it's 38-34 at this point because they missed the extra point after the touchdown. Then 45 seconds left. They kick the onside kick. They recover the onside kick. They go drive down the field. They get down to the five-yard line of Toledo. And on the, uh, the last play, not the last play, but with 17 seconds left, they do a fake spike and uh, toss a, a fade to the corner of the end zone where, um, where uh, Jalen Hall was just completely by himself. Uh, again, the fake spike Toledo's defenders, coach Jason Candle, they said that they heard a whistle. I got to be honest, even watching the game on TV, I thought I heard a whistle mm -hmm. too. The announcers thought they heard a whistle. They didn't, nobody blew the play dead though. And it, it ended up, uh, ended up counting Western Michigan pulls it out 41 38 after being down 10 with two minutes to go. What a heartbreaker for the Rockets, man. Yeah. I, I, so I got back from the ball state game late and I was able to catch when Toledo went up by 10 and so I was watching from there watch Western Michigan score um, um, 
uh, that touchdown. And then when they did the onside kick, I was going to be like, they don't get this onside kick. I'll just turn it off because at that point, it's irregardless. They get the uh, thing and they get it back and then they go down. On that fake spike, though, even if you heard a whistle, why is no one on the receiver? At the yeah. end of the day, you can blame the officials all you want. But at the end of the day, why is no one on that guy? Like, essentially, like, uh, we we seen that. What It was what? Big Ben to AB did that, like, a few years ago? A couple, yeah, there's been uh, a couple teams that have used that in the NFL. And, and you're right, though, Sam. I, I agree with you. They, they, that's something, I mean, regardless of whether or not you heard a whistle, you got to have someone out there. And, and I think Western Michigan deserved it. Like uh, the fourth and 11 you mentioned, I heard there was a uh, pass interference that was questionable. It just seemed like Toledo didn't really deserve to win in Western Michigan with that kind of weird up the middle onside kick that the Toledo guy jumped on, but it looked like the kicker kind of kicked it away from or whatever. Yeah. Like Western Michigan just was hungry for that win. They got the win and now they look super scary moving forward. Yeah, they do. And um, I tell you what, Western Michigan is another team that's really impressed me thus far this year. They had a lot of uh, a lot of um, question marks, obviously, having to break in a new quarterback. But uh, that quarterback, Caleb Ellaby, had another great game last night, 20 for 29, 284 yards and three touchdowns. The sophomore on the season through two games so far, 32 for 45, 71% completion percentage, six touchdowns, no interceptions. Not a bad start. Uh, for Caleb Ellaby. Eli Peters for Toledo had himself a night as well, 30 for 46, 339 yards, a touchdown and an interception. Uh, I mentioned Dwayne Eskridge, who had that big uh, big catch on the last drive. I tell you what, he's he's looking like him his old self now that he's moved back to wide receiver full-time. Seven, touch, seven catches, 131 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Bryant Kobach for uh, Toledo at 24 carries for 78 yards and two touchdowns. So this was a great game, you know, kind of, uh, it was it was never like it seemed like every time Toledo had a chance to pull away, Western Michigan came back. I mean, Toledo was up 24-14. Western Michigan cut it to three. Then Toledo scored another touchdown to bring it back to 10. Western Michigan cuts it to three. Then it goes to 38-28. Western Michigan cuts it back to four. So it was just like Western Michigan just kept doing enough to hang around, and they kept hanging around, and they were right there. And then finally, in the last two minutes of the game, it just flipped. It was crazy how quickly that game flipped. One of the craziest endings of a football game I've ever seen. And I can't admit when I'm wrong. And I honestly did not put enough respect on this Western Michigan team heading into the season. And they proved me wrong. I'll admit when I'm wrong. Western Michigan has looked like the real deal. I was kind of confused why they were uh, – I, I believe they were projected like third in the MAC West. I didn't think they would, they would even reach that. But, hey, yeah. credit to the Broncos for showing out, showing up. 2-0. They have, a, they have a shot to be 3-0 and heading into uh, after next week's game against Central if they, just, if they um, end up to pull it out. And then the rest of the way is Northern Illinois, Eastern Michigan, and Ball State. So I think if you get a Central Michigan win, can, can we start saying like Western yeah. Michigan 6-0? Yeah, I, I got to say, Sam, I, I agree with pretty much everything you say. I, I also – underestimated the Broncos coming into this year. I, I didn't think they, they'd be a serious contender in the West, but it, it looks like I was wrong. And I agree with you, Sam. I think if they can go into Mount Pleasant for a big matchup with the Chippewas and a big rivalry game for them, if they can pull out a win there, I, I think it's likely that they're 5-0 and going into Muncie for the last game of the season against Ball State, which uh, that, that could be a heck of a matchup. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think uh, you've seen a lot of good things from, from the Broncos right now. 
I think it would only be fitting in the year 2020. We have a Western Michigan versus Kent State MAC championship game. I wouldn't hate it at all. I would not hate that at all. I think that would be something that nobody saw coming, and I, I would be here for it. Hey, but I, I think, uh, Zach, do you have any final thoughts on this kind of wild week that we had in the MAC? Hopefully week three can bring the same energy. I know I'm excited. I isn't it isn't it a rivalry rivalry week? Next there's there's week? there's quite a few. Um, yes, there there is uh, quite a few matchups, rivalry matchups this coming week in the MAC. Um, yeah, I know we had talked about that um, a couple weeks ago in our um, you know in our uh, season preview episode. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to pull up the schedule right now. And, I know, um, I know. Ball State plays Northern Illinois because I'll be at that game because it's a home game. Uh, Central Michigan, Western Michigan, obviously. Yeah, here we go. So here, I got the schedule pulled up. Okay. Sorry about that. We got Akron, Kent State, obviously. Buffalo, Bowling Green, uh, Ohio, Miami, Northern Illinois, Ball State. There's a, that's obviously a rivalry. Uh, which also Akron and Kent, a big rivalry. We all know Ohio, Miami, Battle of the Bricks, and then Western Michigan, Central Michigan. Uh, another big rivalry as well. So you're right. There are a couple great rivalry matchups this week. It's going to be another sl- great slate of games next week. No doubt. And to kind of cap off this uh, week recap, we're going to do our performances of the week, disappointment of the week. So Zach, take me through your performance, your kind of high performance, who stood out to you, and then your kind of disappointment of the week, who kind of just like went below expectations in your mind. Yeah, sure. So for my performance of the week, it's going to be actually someone that I just touched on a minute ago, uh, Western Michigan quarterback Caleb Ellaby. I'll tell you what, through two games, he's really impressed me, uh, the true sophomore out of Maryland. Uh, Like I mentioned, he's 32 for 45 on the season. That's a 71% completion percentage. Uh, six TDs, hasn't turned the ball over at all, no interceptions. So that's a big thing. That's something you always worry about with young quarterbacks. This Western Michigan offense was something that I had a lot of questions about. They lost a lot from last year, uh, but they have looked great through two weeks. Akron uh, in week one, we didn't know how much we could take from that because we didn't know what Akron's defense was going to look like. But then last night to, to put up 41 on Toledo and to do it in the fashion in which they did it, I think this is a, uh, an offense – uh, that is has an upward trajectory for sure. There's some young guys here, and they're only going to get better. But it all starts with Caleb Ellaby for me. I'm really impressed with how he's looked so far through two games. And, you know, last night he made some really nice throws. Some of those throws to Eskridge uh, were right on the money, and he allows his receivers to go up and make plays. So I've really liked watching Caleb Ellaby through two weeks. Um, so he, that's, my, that's my performance of the week. Uh, my disappointment of the week, though, uh, I, I'm, I got to give it to the whole, the whole program of Bowling Green, man. I, I, it's just been, um, like I said at the beginning of the show, I was buying some stock on Bowling Green at the beginning of the season, and I'm selling it all back at a discount right now because uh, they just have not looked good at all. Uh, our, our friend of the show, uh, Nick Petrovich from the, the Toledo Blade, uh, he was on a couple weeks ago talking about Bowling Green, and he tweeted this out earlier today. Uh, through two games, Bowling Green is last in the MAC in points allowed, yards allowed, yards gained, completion percentage, third down offense, third down defense, time of possession, net punting, and first downs allowed. And this week they get to play Buffalo. So it's going to be a long rest of the season for Bowling Green. I really thought Matt McDonald taking over on offense um, would, would allow them to take a step forward on that side of the ball. Doesn't appear that that's the case. He's really struggled so far, completing well less than 50% of his passes. The defense can't cover. The defense can't tackle anybody. They, there's just a lot going on right now at Bowling Green. They're so young. 
Um, they're still a couple years away. Um, I had some higher expectations for the Falcons this year, and it looks like I was maybe putting the bar too high. Do you, do you think I had this uh, thought while you were saying that? Do you think this is basically the Akron of last year, this Bowling Green team? I, honestly, I kind of do. The thing is that it's funny is that you, it, you felt like last year was kind of both programs hitting the reset button. And, and Bowling Green was a little bit better than Akron last year. I mean, they beat Akron. They also beat Toledo. They got three wins. So I don't even think it's – I think they were more than a little bit better than Akron last year. They were a lot better than Akron this year or last year. And it almost seems like they've switched places where Akron had already hit the bottom and now they're starting to go back up. And it seems like Bowling Green was still kind of trending down a little bit. And now it seems like maybe this year's the bottom and now they're going to be able to push up from the bottom and, and go up from here. Yeah, I agree there. And for my performance of the week, I'm going to go to Buffalo. I'm going to say Kyle Van Trees. We We talk nonstop. Everybody talks about the, the performances of Kevin Marks and Jared Patterson. And to do respect, all due respect, they are amazing athletes. They put up numbers week in, week out. But Kyle Van Trees showed why this week that he should also be talked about in that offense. That RPO offense just works with all three of them together. And Kyle Van Trees, when put on his shoulders, delivered. I mean, you saw it this past week, uh, 17 of 27, 353 yards, four touchdowns. It, it is against the suspect Miami defense. But I think when you look at this offense, we we should maybe stop talking of, like as much as the two running backs and kind of put some put some respect on Kyle Vantrese's name. Yeah, for sure. And I think, honestly, Sam, I'm even going to give him a little credit because you, I know you said the suspect Miami defense, and they, they haven't been great through two games. But this is still the defense that was one of the best in the conference last year and has a lot of that, that talent back. So it's it's not as if, um, you know, they're playing, you know, playing against, you know, Akron or Bowling Green these last two weeks. I mean, he's, he's, he's played a, some, some, decent, uh, some decent competition, at least, you know, last night. But, uh, yeah, 528 yards and five touchdowns through two games. Um, he did. I mean, some of those deep balls, the, the deep touchdown to Antonio Nunn last night was a beautiful pass. Um, he's really, he really seems to be coming into his own right now. We were all talking about, like you said, that the two running backs in the run game for Buffalo. Well, if they can start throwing the ball around the yard too, watch out because I don't think anyone's going to beat him if that's the case. And then my disappointment out of the week, I think it's simple. It's got to be Toledo in my eyes. You have a 99.9% chance to win in the only thing that if that this loss would make Falcons fans proud because of the way <laughs> you did it. Like I think every everybody probably you Zach in the back of your mind when uh, Toledo scored that touchdown, whether or not you want to call it a touchdown because of the controversial things leading up to it, it, yeah. it was still a touchdown. I yeah. think everybody had in the back of their mind that it was over. Yeah. And then when you go to the onside kick, yeah, you like we I, I didn't have any hope for Western Michigan to get it because like yeah. what what's what's the percentage of uh recovered onside kicks? It's very low. Yeah, it's very low. And and then to and then that fake spike, yes, I, I like I like you said, I even thought I heard a whistle, but you've at least gotta cover him because at the end of the day he's a wide open receiver and like like even on fake punts. They still have a guy out there just in case. Yeah. Because, like, it's, it's a punter, yes, but he still has an arm. And that QB still has an arm. And and all you need to do was stop Western Michigan in that situation, and you didn't even stop a fake spike. Yeah, you're right. I agree with you. It's uh, one of those things, you know, we, we talked a lot 
leading up to the season, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned, you know, the, the struggles of, of Jason Candle and kind of like my skepticism after last year, and especially coming off of last season where the expectations were so high for Toledo this year and wanting to bounce back. You can't lose a game in that fashion like they lost last night. I mean, what a, what a brutal way um, to, to kind of, you know, open your, your divisional uh, portion of your schedule. Um, yeah, when you're up by 10 with two minutes up, there's there's no reason you should lose that game. It blows my mind how consistently teams screw up uh, onside kick coverage. It's crazy. You mentioned the Falcons. I think last night with Toledo is a similar deal. They came up before 10 yards uh, to, to get the ball, which is fine. But if you're going to do that, you've got to you got to fall on it and make sure you have it, which they didn't do. It's just the, the technique there was not there. And uh, it also it cost them the game. So yeah, I agree with you. A, a really, really heartbreaking loss for Toledo last night, especially having a ten point lead with two minutes to go. Yeah, you don't see that very often. Yeah, and if there's a, if there's another loss, I think you got to if they if Toledo suffers another loss, I think you got to mark this season as a disappointment, considering the high expectations everybody had. I think I had them in my preseason six and zero going six and zero. So. At the end of the day, Toledo just doesn't like expectations. Apparently, we should just mark them sixth and then see see what happens from there. Yeah, they'd rather fly under the radar, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's gonna be. Uh, I, I'm gonna be curious to see how um, how the Rockets bounce back next week. A big uh, a, a big bounce back spot for them uh, coming off the the disappointing loss. Uh, they got Eastern Michigan in Ypsilanti Ypsilanti next week, so um, I, I think the the Rockets. I expect them to come out ready to play. Before we move on to Jordan Reinhardt's uh, conversation, uh, uh, previewing the Miami Ohio season, Zach, is there any final thoughts uh, you had about this past week? No, I don't think so. I think we we covered it all. It's uh, it's been great to be able to watch MAC football the last two weeks and. Uh, you know, it's it's just been uh, it's it's great to have something back on Wednesdays and or Tuesday and Wednesdays now uh, to be able to to get us through uh, you know the midweek uh, doldrums until we get to the next weekend. And with next uh, week being rivalry week, if you're looking for some suggestions for what to drink this weekend while watching sports or winding down the evening after a hard day of working from home. We're here to help with Belt's Beer Garden. Every week, our very own Dave Drury tastes craft beer from around the country and breaks down the pro profiles like a true expert sommelier. Check out hustlebelt.com every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern for his latest recommendation or follow on Instagram at Belt's Beer Garden for 24-7 updates. Welcome back, guys, to another segment of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. This time, we got our Miami, Ohio preview. Zach, I think this is our last one of, uh, of all the MAC teams. Yeah, last but certainly not least, and uh, we have uh, fellow Hustle Hustle Belt contributor uh, Jordan Renard with us. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us, man. Thank you guys for having me. No, no doubt, we we uh, we love talking some MAC football previews. We've learned a lot through these, and we're just going to jump straight into it. So, Jordan, obviously, we saw last uh, this past uh, games didn't go the best, if you want to call it, losing forty-two to ten. Buffalo, but week one was a surprise to many with the backup quarterback coming through. So what in your mind is the, how, how do you view the Miami program right now? Uh, it's kind of hard to tell where they're at. Offensively, they lost so much due to injury. They lost their starting quarterback. They lost their two starting running backs. They lost their starting tight end. So they're just piecing it together as they go. And on defense, they have been really underwhelming so far. They gave up a lot of yards passing the last two weeks. 
they're dead last in the MAC and passing yardage allowed this season. So they have not performed up to the standard that they were last year. Yeah, Jordan, uh, and that was actually you led me into my my next question here, which was was about the defense, right? This was a defense where high expectations, especially after Rugamba opted back into the season. This was kind of expected to be the strength of the team this year. But, you know, after giving up 31 last week, the ball stayed and then 556 yards to Buffalo this week. What, what's what's up with the defense right now? Like, What needs to change there? Uh, they're just trying to piece stuff together. Obviously, with the pandemic, it's hard to get prepared when you don't have those non-conference games to get ready. That really hurts the defense a lot. And I think part of it, too, they just missed Doug Costin so much, especially on the interior defensive line. They don't have that interior push that they had last year. And without that, they are really struggling to function as a defense as a whole. I'm just curious as a, uh, a uh, Ball State Cardinal fan, how Chuck Martin, considering the, the injuries you mentioned, Blaine, uh, not Blaine Gabbard, I keep thinking, Brett Gabbard's injury, how was he able to pull through the win when it seemed like the odds were just stacked against him? Uh, he has done a good job building up that depth where you have guys like an A.J. Mary that can just step in and contribute. It's his third year in the program, so he's capable of, running the offense and getting first downs and that sort of thing. And I think a pleasant surprise in the running game was Zach on. He produced a little bit last year, but he's such a hard, tough runner. He just is a good fit for what they want to do offensively. So that is such a good find when they're down so many running backs and the, they still have all their receivers. They still have a Jack Swordson that they can rely on on third down. So they're capable of producing on offense. It's just finding that stability when you're rotating so many different guys in and out, just finding that consistency can be tough for them. Yeah, certainly. And uh, to kind of continue down the, the, the path of, you know, um, of uh, injuries, um, has there been any update on, on Brett Gabbard? Or is, there gonna, is there an expectation that he'll play this week against Ohio or is it going to be another couple weeks before we see him again? I would think it would be likely that Brett Gabbert would play after he clears concussion protocol and that sort of thing. So it is likely that Brett Gabbert will play, but if he's not able to go, AJ Mayer is a guy that can obviously produce for them. So they shouldn't, uh, shouldn't be worried about their quarterback situation. So I, I'm curious. So in your mind, with all these injuries, who's a person? Obviously, you've had Sorensen step up. You've had the mayor step up. But with all these injuries, you mentioned the depth. So who's somebody that's not really well known, but has either stepped up or you're really projecting to step up this season? I would certainly expect James Burns to really step up this season. He hasn't really been able to be consistent this year, but he was a big play threat last year. He had over. 20 yards for catch last season. So if able, if they're able to find consistency at quarterback, able to get them involved more consistently, I feel like that would help the offense a great deal getting those explosive plays. So Jordan, this next question I have is, I guess, more of a, of a big picture question when it comes to like the state of the program at Miami. And Miami seems to be a little but unique in the sense that where they're one of the rare programs here over the last couple of years, that's really showed patience with their head coaching and, and, and the coaching staff. Right. I mean, Chuck Martin is only 31 and 46 in his time 
at uh, at Miami, and he was 22 and 39 prior going into last year. So I lo- I know a lot of Miami fans were starting to lose patience with him after uh, you know going into last season. But after the the conference championship last year and how this season has started, how how's the fan base feel about Chuck Martin? I still feel that they're pretty good. They came into the season looking because it's such a weird year anyway, and they're dealing with so many injuries that this season is not really a reflection of his coaching per se, but they just had to adapt and adjust so much that just being able to win a game is just hard given the circumstances. I want to move over to something that's not really touched on in that special teams. Obviously you guys lost Samuel Sloman. You've had Beckett coming. What, what's been the, um, have you liked what you've seen out of him? Do you think he's going to be a solid piece moving forward? What, what's your thoughts on the special teams surrounding Miami, Ohio? I feel like the special teams is as good as it was last year. Beckett obviously made those two goals against Ball State. He missed the kick against Buffalo, but the punting has been strong. We've been averaging the most net punt yards in the MAC so far this season. So there's obviously some good things to look forward to. And remember that these are two young guys coming in so they have a chance to really develop as time goes on yes yeah, certainly so um a big game this week coming up jordan the battle of the bricks uh you know uh, the ohio bobcats come into oxford to, to take on the the um the, the red hawks sam and i were, were talking about that game a little bit earlier in our earlier segment you know just kind of previewing that and one thing we were talking about was how you know ohio's a team that's going to want to run the ball and miami's going to have to stop the run uh, you know, how, how do you see the Red Hawks matching up with the Bobcats this week? Oh, it should be an interesting matchup. I was actually at the Ohio-Akron game covering it for Hustlewell. And what I saw from the Bobcats was obviously they want to run the ball. They want to run the ball with Tuggle. They want to involve Rodgers on the option game. So that will present a different challenge for Miami. I think defensively, Ohio is interesting. They really struggled defending the run against Akron and Akron was able to complete a lot of passes get a lot of third downs so I think it'll it'll be an interesting matchup seeing which quarterback is available to go should be a back and forth game between the two teams going down to end like it has been in the past couple of years so I know a lot of people were high on Miami Ohio coming into the season like uh like a lot of people like I'm sure yours uh yourself did what what's the what's the what's kind of your mind? What would be a successful season considering all the injuries? Obviously, your starting quarterback's not healthy, uh, completely healthy yet. Is it a three and three season? Is that four and two in season? And then what's what's your prediction for the season? Uh, given the way the defense has looked, I think three and three would be a huge success because you got a semi-competent Ohio team. You got. Akron looked pretty decent against Iowa. You got, you still got Kent State you have to deal with. So I think three and three would be a huge, huge success dealing with what the defense is like right now and all the injuries on the offensive side of the ball. I don't think you can aim for a four and two season when you have so much inconsistency on offense and how much you're struggling on defense. Yeah, and, and the defenses on uh, on 
or the struggles on defense, I should say, have have been uh, somewhat significant for sure so far. Jordan, uh, wanted to ask you a, a little bit about recruiting for Miami. Obviously, you, you know we we know you do the the recruiting update column uh, on for Hustle Belt. So, talk to us a little bit about the recruiting for the Red Hawks this year. How, how's the class of twenty twenty one looking? How's the program set up here for the future? They got it set up pretty good. They have a bunch of three stars. They, they usually do get a bunch of three stars. They usually finish near the top of the neck. That's why they're able to have so much depth. They get so many talented guys. They're able to develop them and recruit them. They landed a three-star quarterback not too long ago, which will be huge for depth going forward in case Mayor or Gabbard or anybody like that decides transfer. So we're able to have that depth. So they usually get to do a pretty good job of recruiting like athletic types, then developing offensive linemen that have the good frames, but not necessarily the build that are ready to start day one. So they're usually able to develop linemen in that way. And, and we've asked every person so far this season or this, uh, during the previews, we obviously touched on football, but basketball season's right around the corner. So I want you uh, to t to kind of give a brief summary of your expectations for the basketball team, how you thought last year went, how you pictured this year went, and just your overall thoughts, because it's only it should be only a conference only with maybe a few uh, non-conference games. Uh, it definitely should be interesting, given how last season's gone, their struggles, and they're obviously their big thing in the offseason with Mikey Sabond. But I feel like this is definitely an opportunity to take a step forward. They have a decent nucleus of guys that can contribute. And with a conference-only schedule, they may be able to get a win early and able to develop some confidence going forward to help that program take the next step and actually be a contender in the MAC East. But we'll see. Basketball season is a long way away, and a lot can happen between now and end of February or whenever the season decides to finish. Jordan, I wanted to move into some more, I guess, just general football recruiting. Um, again, knowing that you write the, the, the recruiting column for, for the Hustle Belt. Um, just looking forward to next year, the class of 2021, um, who do you what teams do you feel are at the top of the conference in terms of the strength of that recruiting class? And then a second part to that question, of, of all the MAC head coaches right now for football, who do you feel is the strongest recruiter? Uh, Toledo is usually always up at the very top when it comes to recruiting. They have such a solid programming recruiting culture there that they're always able to get a lot of guys. And Buffalo has done well recently with their recruits. They're really high. They're getting a lot of dudes right now. And to me, Chuck is an awfully good recruiter. Yeah. He's trying to bring what he can in to a program that really hasn't had a lot of success recently. So he does a pretty good job to bring guys to a program that really hasn't won consistently in a long, long time. So he's obviously one of the top and and, among with all the other guys in the Mac, of course. And last question for me before Zach has any um, closing questions. So uh, I'm from Indiana. I've never been to Miami, Ohio. If me or Zach were ever to travel in the area of Miami, Ohio for a possible game day in the future, where, where do we have to stop to eat? Uh, you have all kinds of options at Oxford, but 
my first choice would be Mac and Joe's. They have awesome, awesome food. They have a mac and cheeseburger that is bomb.com. And Skipper's is always a good choice. It's a Chicago-style bar with Chicago-style bar food. So I would definitely recommend those two if you guys have never been. Good stuff. Mac and cheeseburger sounds dangerously delicious. It is. It is. <laughs> good stuff. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Um, always, you know, it's been, I, I know we know we did Miami last as far as having someone on to talk about football, but last does not mean least. <laughs> we appreciate you coming on and taking some, taking some time to talk to us. All right. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, that again, that was Jordan Rennard. Uh, Jordan, would you, if you want to plug your Twitter, where can the people find you at? Uh, at Coach Rennard, I do a lot of retweeting of different stuff I find, and obviously, all my articles are on there. So Give me a follow, and we'll try to keep you up to date on the followings of the Miami Red Hawks and other things going on at Hustle Bell. Yeah, go, uh, go as he said, go give him a follow. Thanks, uh, uh, Jordan, once again for joining us. It was certainly a blast talking about some Miami, Ohio, even though, you know, I'm a little bit disappointed that we didn't get a beat you, but I don't hold <laughs> that against you. Personally, you know, it's just a bad uh, coaching, but – Beyond that, uh, we'll let you go, Jordan. I know I'm excited to watch some Colts uh, play some some football, so I'm getting ready for that. But, yeah, again, follow Jordan on Twitter, uh, read his stuff on Hustle Boat, and, yeah, that's going to wrap it up for this segment. Three, two, one. Uh, and that will close out episode 19. So that means next episode will be five months of this podcast going on strong. Zach, we should be, we should be at 2000 or 2000 plays. It's, it's been an unbelievable journey. I, I didn't think we'd ever get to this point so quickly. Nonetheless, like th this journey has been wild. It has been, man. It's been so great. I can't believe it's been five months already that we've been doing this. I feel like, uh, yeah, I think back over the summer, whenever all this started, it seems like it was so long ago, but here we are. Uh, yeah, the, the the support's been awesome. The Hustle Bell community, the Mac community, we love you guys for continuing to listen to, uh, to us. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, you don't get too upset with some of our takes and our wrong picks and stuff like that. But keep coming back. We love interacting with you guys. Yeah, I, I think uh, all of our wrong, t wrong takes are in good fun. Again, don't take us too seriously. We're just two dumb fans at the end of the day. Me being a Ball State fan, you being a Penn State fan. We yeah. come in with biases at the end of the day, but it's all in good funds. Hopefully you don't hate us. Uh, Miami, Ohio fans, you, you probably want to listen to the next episode. We have a pretty cool guest coming on that I don't think a lot of people uh, will be expecting. So stay tuned for that as well. But Zach, we, we started out with the unfortunate Tyus Davis news. We moved into the week a recap, and then we touched on our um, performances of the week and disappointment of the week, not to mention the Jordan Rennard episode or J Jordan Rennard interview segment. Uh, what Any final thoughts on this? No, man, I think we got it all. It was a great conversation with Jordan. We thank him for stopping by. Looking forward to week three of Maction next week, uh, continuing to, to you know these watch these divisional races shape up. Yeah, no doubt. And again, uh, thoughts and prayers again uh, from both me and Zach to Tyus's Davis family. Uh, I, I know you guys are probably going through a lot right now, but we just want to send our thoughts and prayers towards the Davis family anyway. Once again, 
But yeah, uh, we, we hope you guys are safe out there. Stay strong. Hopefully we can get through this together, get back to norm some normal action because I'm going to be honest, Zach, I had a super fun time going back to the games and hopefully you guys, if you aren't students and can't go to the games, you can, you can go watch uh, the games in person once again. And with that being said, that's going to wrap up Mac Bandwagon episode 19. We hope you guys did enjoy it. Again, uh, hit us up on Twitter. We're still growing this bandwagon. We're almost at 2,000 plays uh, next milestone. I won't do 500 plays as my next milestone. We'll do we'll do each 1,000. I figure to space it out since we've done 1,000, 2,000. Next milestone will be 3,000, so we don't just keep spamming up your uh, Twitter inbox. I just figure that's the easiest way, but... Yeah, hope you guys did enjoy all the things we talked about. And yeah, uh, we'll talk to you guys next Friday.